Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Home and Away, a podcast devoted to all things in and around the world of sporting Kansas City soccer. I am Drew Vanderplug, joined once again, as always, by my good friend Cody Welton. This week, Sporting Kansas City closes out a relatively forgettable season with a pretty forgettable result going down to Dallas uh, 2-1 while reminding us of some of the issues that still persist with this team. A big credit to Dallas for having a very good game plan and executing it well and forcing Sporting to make adjustments, which they did at halftime. It was actually a pretty interesting tactical match until Dallas made their substitutions. Uh, Sporting Kansas City desperately needs a defensively responsible midfielder not named Roger Espinoza. Like, really, really bad. Andrea Fontes reminded us of how much of the first four months of the season went by turning in his worst performance since July. And some thoughts on the U.S. women's fairly drab performances against England and Spain, as well as the state of women's professional soccer in general in the wake of the details released in the Yates report. Cody, You've been saying it for several weeks, but has there really been a bigger example of Roger being both indispensable and a late game liability more than in this match? Not that I can remember, uh, at least not recently. You know, the, the thing is, is, is he is, he, he, he functions like the, you know, defensive number six for this team. He's the guy who's making tackles. He's the guy who's getting into duels. He's the guy who's who's uh, winning balls. Uh, he's covering all areas of the field. And when he is not able to do that, you can you can just see that the when when he leaves, there's a huge drop off. And you know, even even though um, even though like you know Hernandez is a good player, and you and I both like him a lot. Um, you, you got to have somebody in the middle of the field who who can win the ball. I looked at this a little bit, and, and it's hard to just take it out of one game specifically yeah. because there, I don't think that they had a whole lot of opportunities to get into tackles because of the way that the game states went for this match. We'll talk about Dallas's setup against Sporting and how it was very much a you know an interesting kind of you know solution. Well, trying to find a solution for each team because they were both sort of playing the way they wanted to, um, which made it very, you know, back and forth. But um, I, I was looking through sort of the defensive interventions in the midfield and Remy Voltaire, ostensibly the number six, you know, your quote unquote defensive midfielder, single pivot, um, had zero tackles and one successful pressure. That's just not good enough from that position. I don't care yeah. if you're if you're supposed to be distributing or doing whatever you're supposed to be doing. It's just not good enough. And I, I don't uh, I I and it to your point it makes the it makes Rogers job that much more important to be accomplished exactly in the way that he can do it. And he wasn't as successful in this match as he has been in previous matches doing that. Again, game states have a lot to do with that. Um but even still, it means that they're in Dallas, and I thought it was going to be a decent day. It was actually pretty warm in Dallas uh, on Sunday afternoon. And you could see, like, I, I saw we weren't even five minutes into the match, and they showed the AR on the sunny side of the field was absolutely boiling and sweating. It, they'd barely been going five minutes, and I'm like, man, it must yeah. be a hot one. You take your 36-year-old, you know, run-everywhere midfielder, and you make him cover that much ground, and he's the only one doing it, for you know a half a full half and then far into the second half 
And then you see what happens when, you know, he makes the mistake, the giveaway that leads to the second goal that is eventually the winning goal for Dallas. Um, that was kind of my point is like, he's indispensable because he's the one that covers all the ground and does all these things. Yeah. But it's also a liability because you're taking a guy who's barely 60 minutes, you know, capable at this point and then running him into the ground in terrible weather in game 34 of the season. And you see what happens, right? It's inevitable. Like he's going to make a mental mistake because he's been doing all of this work already. And yeah. It, it, well, and, and that's um, the that's the first you know that's the first thing to go when when you get tired and you know you're you're running around in the heat and you know the 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 first thing that you that you do is start making mental errors and mistakes and so it's no surprise that 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 happened you know but the thing is is that this isn't like a new problem you know this is the right. same this is the same issue that raised its head when you know he went to um uh play Wigan. in the EPL yeah with Wigan right um and and in the in the years since he's returned that those times when he's missed some significant time due to injury um or hasn't been 100% like you can tell that every team i think needs to have a player uh at least one who's who who's just a, a an enforcer whose job who can control the midfield physically who can physically dominate it uh, and if you don't have that player you make your job a lot more difficult and, so and this, he, he's again, that player this, he always and he, he, he always has been he has been and that's the point we've been making or you've been making for a couple of weeks i've been sort of come, going along with and i would say that i've you know come along especially watching this game um, Mike Coon brought it up during the game on Twitter and we had a little bit of a back and forth about it. And I think that we just all sort of agree that, um, against better opponents and Dallas is a much better opponent than sporting has faced since probably Austin, as far as a team, you know, a team that has a really good midfield that can really, you know, play through you if you're not paying attention, um, and you saw what happened in both of those matches. You know, they, uh, you know, Sporting was up very early in that Austin match, and then Austin just sort of eviscerated them after that, and just sort of took over the game. And a lot of that had to do with when Roger got tired and when he had to come off the field, and they just had no bite. They couldn't control the midfield anymore. And the same thing happened against Dallas. They didn't. They weren't able to, especially in those counterattacking situations. They weren't able to snuff them out. Um, I, I believe that a more defensively responsible midfielder intercepts some of those through balls. Um, gets in the way of some of those players and, you know, uh, puts a tactical foul in, does the different things that are necessary to stop those breaks from happening. And I don't want to use the word soft, but the, the reality is, is that sporting is not a team that physically um, concerns most opponents. You're on mute, Cody. Good podcasting. Rookie, bias. rookie mistake. Uh, they don't control games. They don't. They don't. Or they don't have players in the in the midfield who scare people. Um, and you know, even at even at Rogers' age, uh, he's still in the 89th percentile in in tackles in the middle third in the league. That is insane. I'm, I mean, that is that is uh, really really high level stuff. And you know, he deserves to be mentioned in the same. Uh, breath as Diego Chara and uh, Ozzy Alonso. He's that kind of player. Even though he doesn't play the number six, he has that effect on the game. 
one of my favorite players in sporting all time. Maybe Amen. my favorite yeah, player. Me, me, me I, I love him. I love him. But he, I mean, he's one of my favorite. He's what just one of my favorite soccer players. Period. I, yeah, and, I just love the guy, and I'll, I will never forget watching him play for the Olympics uh, in Wembley, and just 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 run himself into the ground, and and those people were just they were standing and and applauding him they weren't from honduras but they just they appreciate his work ethic and his uh his 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 just refusal to quit and his insistence on covering you know every inch of ground that he could winning every ball that he could he's he's special man i, I love him to death i really do well, and that that had a lot to do with why he got that move to Wigan, right? It was a 2012 yeah, Olympics in London, yeah. and, and that had a lot to do with why you know you you've got all the English scouts there. So that yeah. had a lot to do with why he ended up getting that move. Um, I you know we've we've glowed about Roger plenty on this podcast. Everyone that listens to us regularly knows that this is a very Roger friendly podcast. Um, but the reality of the situation is, and I I already made him 36. He's not quite 36. I think he's got a couple weeks till his 36th birthday, but. The reality is, is that a guy that does that much work that has been putting in that kind of miles for as long as he has, is just, you know, you know, father time's undefeated. He's going to, he's going to lose his, he's going to lose his ability to do that at a high level for 90 minutes. And even Peter understands that he's been subbing him off at the hour mark pretty much every game. He get, he left him on a little bit long in this game, in my opinion. In fact, I think he could have subbed him at halftime. Um, if I, if I'm being honest, but you know, we'll talk about that in a second as well. Just kind of, you know, my thoughts on, you know, when Peter makes some of these decisions, he's, he's becoming more open to making them, but still making them a <laughs> the, little late. The timing, the timing needs to be worked on. Doesn't yeah. It? Yeah. Um, but you know, the reality is, is he's the only one on the team that possesses this skill set or possesses anything close to this skill set. Yeah. And, um, so you lose that ability when he's off the field or when he's slowing down due to fatigue or any of those things. And it's something we just talked about a lot. So I, I really looked at it hard on this game because I know it's something that you have really brought up a lot in the last few weeks when we've discussed it. And I'm fully on board with your, um, with your thought process now that, you know, a, some kind of defensively responsible midfielder is number one priority for this team. Like number one, numero uno, I, I, it makes the most sense that it would be a, you know, Diego Chara, Ozzy Alonso type of single pivot, if if possible, because first of all, Vermees is not going to move away from the single pivot. He's too much of an ideologue, I think, in that regard for him to change that. But all of the other central midfielders on this team really function best as eights. So it would make the most sense for if you're going to bring someone in that's going to be defensively responsible, it would be a real six. That, that does those things. You know, I want to point out too that that a lot of it depends on on what happens with the center back position too. You know, if 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 we've got if we keep Andrea Fontas and we pair him with Volader, even even if we were to you know keep the both of the center backs that we currently have, those the the passing that those players bring is is good and and important and you don't need then to necessarily have uh, a, a a single pivot six who can pass like that right we you don't need Elie if you've got uh good passers around him 
Um, it also you, depends on the build-out posture and who's playing right back, in my opinion. Sure, so there, yeah. there's, there's, a, there's a lot of soccer yep. dominoes that goes with this, yep. for sure, because right now the build-out posture leaves Zussi along the back line for a couple reasons, right? One, he's obviously very good at long ball delivery. That's, that's mm-hmm. a forte of his. But I think the second – and he can also tuck into midfield and sort of orchestrate from that area when they're in possession. So it makes a lot of sense that he would do that. But the second part is you keep him along the back line so he doesn't get torched on a counterattack. Yeah, like, that's there, – there's, yeah. there's, there's a double purpose to that, right? Yep. If Caden Pierre is playing over there, you can start looking at a 3-2-5 mm-hmm. build out where the six drops along that back line, yep. right? So we, we, you, we've like, seen that before, we, you know, back when, yeah. when Zussi was was younger and, you know, Seth, Seth Sinovic was on the team and and mm-hmm. Ilya would often drop back into that 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 posture and uh, um uh, Busio did it a ton when he too. played the did it, sure. Yeah, yeah, Busio yeah. would would sit back there and and sort of <laughs> use the quote unquote metronome. He yeah. would metronome his way around from back there. But what my my point is is that it's really going to be roster build dependent and how, what your build out posture looks like. And I sort of understand why you wouldn't necessarily want to be in a two three five with Zusi high um, because that could you could leave yourself open to counterattacks on that wing. If you were to do that, um, it, it's really going to be dependent on those things. And the problem is, is that Peter very much likes to install a system at the beginning of the year and a philosophy of play. And so it's really going to be dependent on what he sees as the best 11 mm-hmm. of that team. And then they're going to build based on that. And there'll be tweaks, right? We've seen guys sit, we've, we've seen guys come back and set in a little bit more of a double pivot at times, depending on the personnel and the opponent. Um, but for the most part, he's generally got a system in place, especially the first 10 to 15 games of the season. They're going to be running the system for the most part. So it's really going to be dependent on that. I also thought of a scenario where they could play a 2-3-5 where um, the um, it's a little bit lopsided, kind of like Burhalter likes to do it, where you've got the, um, the right back tucks into the midfield along mm-hmm. the two midfielders, mm-hmm. and then the width is then created by like an Eric Tommy who likes to get very advanced. Tommy can get advanced at that point in time. Then you've got your six and one of your eights in that kind of area, and you bring Zussi alongside of them, and he's sort of dealing from the midfield, and then you can create your width with your winger and um, they've forward done, at that point. They, so there's, there's ways to do that. They've done that before, too. I mean, we've, we've, we've seen Zussi play in that position before, and um, – yeah. I mean, he's a great player too. He he can be successful from just about anywhere on the field. I think uh, it's just a matter of of you know, as you as you mentioned, kind of kind of parsing out how how many hours, how many hours, how many minutes we're going to expect from him. How uh, how healthy he's going to be. What is his role on the team? If he is a starter transitioning to a uh, a backup player. I'm sorry about that. Um, yeah. If he's a starter transitioning to a backup player, if he's a backup player who's a spot starter, uh, a lot of it's really going to depend on what happens uh, um, this off season. And I, I mean, I don't know what I don't know what to what to well, predict honestly. And there's an expansion draft that he's most definitely not going to be protected in. Yeah. Um, there's and and the um, the new GM for St. Louis has already said that they'll be looking for like name type players yeah. in some positions. Um, and I think it's an understanding too from them that you want veterans 
in in certain positions on your team in order to be you know have some sort of base for for yeah. basis of performance. Otherwise, now granted, you can do it like Charlotte did, and you know make a really good run in the second half of the of the year. And and you know, did they make the playoffs? Did they make the last playoff spot, or did they just miss? I can't remember. I guess they just missed. Uh, I think they Charlotte. just missed. Yeah, because Cincinnati yeah. got it. That's right. So, I mean, but they made a good run at it and and almost got into the playoffs their first year. So, I mean, there there are different ways to do it for sure. But um, I think that it sounds like St. Louis is very much going the Nashville approach yeah. for how they're building. And um, I think that you'll you'll see a few of those. So there's there's potential that, you know, that it could happen that way. I mean, Zussi's not on a super, um, you know, his option year, his option year can't be much more than what he got paid this year. So it's not super difficult for someone to stomach. And, you know, you got all that extra allocation money your first year as an expansion team. So, you know, who knows? I, it would be quite the move for St. Louis to like grab a sporting legend in the expansion draft. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about just ratcheting up the intensity yeah. when those matches no, get played. Just, Holy e- even, even thinking about it, just like I can feel the hate like welling up inside <laughs> of me. <laughs> today they were trying, uh, today they were, they were trying to make this, they were trying to call it the barbecue as if mm, St. Louis is known for their barbecue. Mm, yeah. That's not good. No, um, no. I've had St. Louis barbecue a handful of times, and I'm. It's about as good as their pizza, which is not good. (laughs) I'm not gonna really down get down on St. Louis cuisine. I'm sure there are good places to have barbecue, but they're not. Oh, there are. And they're they're not known for their barbecue. There are there are fantastic, uh, especially Italian restaurants in in St. Louis. Yes, there are. I mean, so yeah. St. Louis is not, it's not, it's not all bad, but come on. You're it's, it's a fairly large city. Um, barbecue is a big thing in every large city there. And there are good places to go in all of them. So, but the, the point is obviously that they're not known for that. That's not a brand of theirs. No. Anyway, um, I digress. Um, the situation with Zussi, we're sort of making assumptions that his options going to get picked up or that they declined and re, re, uh, renegotiate. Um, He's definitely pretty clear about the fact that he wants to play next year, that he's not done playing. And I don't think he should be done playing. He's a very no. good player. Yeah, he, he played very well this year. Yeah. Um, but I don't want him to play more than 20 games. Right. Um, and, well, and, I think and, it's... and 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 too, I mean, it's just worth reiterating that if if you play him uh, and especially if you start him, you you have to compensate for some of his, his the, the shortcomings that his age uh, and lack of athleticism bring. And so it just changes the way just changes the way you set up your team from the get go. Yeah, it's it's funny because and I don't want to act like Zussi is some slow, like unable to play player. That's not true because they've got the tracking on him when he gets when he hits top speed. He's actually pretty fast, but his ability to react and accelerate to that speed is not the same as it was when he was 22. And it's just the reality of life. That's how that goes. We we watched uh, Andre Fantas a couple times on Sunday just look like he couldn't get out of like he was stuck in mud. Yeah. Like he just couldn't get out of his own way. And you texted me. He's like, he looks about as mobile as I do. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty tough. And it's just like when you get old and you've had, in Fontas's case, two, both of your Achilles have been worked on. Yeah. Like, it's just, 
it's inevitable. Like that stuff happens. So, um, yeah, that you end up with the situation that we talked about earlier, where you're building a structure in possession that is based on limiting his deficiencies. Yeah. And at some level, I understand that. But at another level, I'm like, are you lowering your ceiling by doing so? Yeah. I mean, his, you know, his, his passing metrics and his possession metrics, I mean, they're all like just at the absolute top of the league. And, and so he's really, really, he's still just really great at some of those things. Um, I don't think his, I don't think his chance creation uh, right now merits his inclusion. Um, when you balance that with his sort of, you know, the, the problems he presents in terms of setting up a team. And I, I know, like, I, I know we, I've said this before and, and it's, it's not going to happen, but I, I really, I really think that he could, he could be a, a, a substitute and spot starter on really any line. And, uh, and you could bring him in, um, in, in late games as a, as a winger, uh, and have him put crosses into the box. You could have him play as, uh, as a midfielder and, uh, and have him call it play, you, you know, start out closer to, uh, to, to goal, especially when you were, if you were chasing points in a game, uh, I don't think he'll ever be used in that, uh, in that manner, but that's just the kind, I mean, he's, he's that good of a soccer player and he's that, uh, technically gifted and he's that smart, uh, that he could do that. And, um, and so, and so it's just, it's just a matter, I think of, of, of balancing, um, how how big of a role he's going to have on the team and and it's a, it's honestly it's a it's a it's a difficult job it's a I don't envy Vermes at all it's it's a really tough thing to to know when uh, to know when to uh, to to pull that trigger and bail on a on a player as at least as a starter and uh, he you know Vermes hasn't shown. Vermes is not quick to make that decision. Uh, Vermes has to be, you know, really sort of, sort of, in some respects, kind of forced into making that decision. Uh, it, like all of uh, all the 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 evidence has to be uh, absolutely ironclad in order for him to sort of make it. Uh, so, so I would I, I would imagine that we'll see Zusi uh, um, back uh, as optional picked up and I would imagine that he I, I would probably I, w- I would predict that he would be the the starter um, at right back I don't have a problem with him being the preferred starter and he starts yeah. two-thirds of the matches I think I'm okay with that to your point my main issue is not necessarily moving on from him and giving him the hook for not I, I want this guy to retire as a sporting Kansas City player I don't want yeah, him to absolutely. be unceremoniously let go. And that's the thing about Vermees. It's so, so intriguing to me because he will absolutely cut bait with someone at the end of a season. He has yeah. no problem doing that. He will just, he's Bill Belichickian in that way. They're just like, bye, we're moving on. We're doing something else. My issue is in the middle of a game, he won't make that decision. Yeah. And that's the, that's the part, like you talked about, like you have to have this preponderance of evidence that this just isn't fucking working before he finally goes, okay, yeah, we better get this guy up here. Yeah. Um, I texted you probably 15 minutes before um, the, I think it was even before Velasco scored the goal. Mm-hmm. I texted you and said, Zussi's getting cooked. He needs to come off. Yeah. And I, cause Velasco immediately took over as soon as he got in the game and sidebar, 
Velasco's 19 years old and looks every bit of like one of the best players in the league when he's playing. Yeah. He's he's unreal good. Dallas is going to sell it, sell him for a mint in a couple years. Like he is a really really good player. But still like he came in obviously 19 year old winger that was like just ready to go against Zusi who's been running for an hour in the Dallas Heat and of course there's just going to be a, a a you know a difficulty in managing that situation. Yeah. And it looked bad from the start. They get the goal. It doesn't get much better. And somehow it still took another 10 minutes before Caden Pierre came into the game. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is the stuff that I struggle with. And I think you've mentioned this before is that I really want Zussi to retire in the shirt, but I almost don't want Peter to have the option because he's just, he doesn't, he like, maybe that's why he moves on from guys at the end of the year, because he's like, if I'm tempted by this, I'm just going to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like. I, like I said, it's a really tough uh, decision for him for, for both of these players, and both of them are sporting legends. Both of their names are going to be on the wall. You know, it's um, and, and they're it's it's just hard to move on from players like that. You know, it's hard to know it's hard to know what's the right uh, what's the right steps to take. Well, if hey, I had any faith in the fact that the coach would make in-game decisions or would sit <laughs> yeah. them appropriately and rest them appropriately, yeah. he did it okay with Raj once the injury stuff got better. He started to rotate him more and he started bringing him off. But Zeus, not really. And, I mean, I, I like I said, Zeus is still an absolutely um, useful MLS player and can start a lot of games. And I believe in his technical skill and his game knowledge – is off the charts. It's always been why he's been a great player. That's always why he, that's why he made the U S men's national team. That's why yeah. he did all the things that he's done is that his technical skill is off the charts, just unreal good. And he reads the game really well. And you, you combine those two things and you're going to be a good player. I just, um, I, I don't, I'm, I'm still concerned. The coach is going to manage that situation effectively for the betterment of the team. Yeah. And when I say that, you know, Dallas was extremely proactive with their substitutes. They're, it's a 1-1 game. They need a win to secure the three seed in the West. They need to get something. They need to have, you know, something. And um, and they make three big subs at an hour. Yeah. And immediately those guys have an impact. Yep. And, and, of course, they do. It's 80-some degrees in Dallas, and it's, it's sunny, and, you know, it's not a late game. So, like, everyone's playing in the sun, and – yeah, you, you, you bring in these young players with a little bit of energy and you're proactive and you immediately come after it. And and Dallas controlled the next 20 minutes of the match. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until Sporting made their own subs that all of a sudden the things balanced out and Sporting got a few more chances. So that's the part about it. It's like, I'm tired of reacting. I want to see some proactivity yeah. in how those decisions are made. So let's talk a little bit about Dallas's game plan because I thought it was really smart. Um, they, you know... I don't know. I haven't watched a ton of their games. I don't feel like they're a bunker and counter team all the time. Like no. I don't feel like that's no, they're, necessarily they're, they're what generally they do. not. I think that they're but that's that that's exactly what they did to Sporting. They allowed them to possess, yeah, and they just sat behind with ten players and said, "Here, try to break us down," because Sporting has not been that. That's that's a flaw of this team. They're yeah. not very good at breaking a team down. Um, they're much better when they have space. And um, usually they create that space by winning the ball in the midfield via the press or the counter press and turning the team over and then getting immediately on the ball kind of from the half line. And Dallas just didn't give them that opportunity. 
And then they have really active, fast wingers and a center forward in Jesus Ferreira who can combine with them and release wingers that they were just like, here, we're just going to burn you on the counter. And I mean, as we know, this back line is susceptible to that. Yeah. Especially when everybody rushes all the way forward, trying to break the, break the uh, opponent down. Yeah. So, so when I've watched uh, Dallas, um they the interesting thing about them is that they um they they do some pressing and they definitely counter press uh but they don't uh they don't they don't possess like like sporting kansas city possesses like just to like keep the ball you know they're they play a lot more direct and um and they go to goal uh, and they try and score and um that sort of that lends itself really uh, i think to to you know, playing a game like they did against Sporting sport Kansas City, you know, Sporting Kansas City wants to have the ball. Let them have the ball. Uh, you're good at, you, you know, your team is good at at counterattacking. You've got players who um, who are creative, who are good at going at uh, players and putting them defensive players and putting them back on their heels. And and uh, and that's what you saw them do. And um, it was a really great game plan. And you know, e- even defensively, um, we've seen teams uh, try and and get numbers behind the ball and and still sometimes struggle uh especially since eric tommy's come uh, uh tommy and agata both since they've come on the team um and and uh i thought dallas really did a great job at just shutting everything down those those little pockets uh in the in the sort of half spaces where you know we see um the the you know specifically like sweat and shallowy and tommy uh combining uh dallas was was ready for that and they uh they put they put people there <laughs> you know mm-hmm. they 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 had, they had two of their midfielders sort of shaded over to that area mm-hmm. and ensuring that as soon as the ball got into that half space or tommy would try to cut inside which is something yep. he also likes to do he would try to cut inside with the ball and they'd immediately have two guys on him and the other thing is is when you've got 10 behind you can have two center backs on agata at all times yep. and let's be honest matt hedges probably one of the best defenders in mls at winning aerial duels Never mind the fact that he's you know half a foot taller than Willie Agata. Yeah. You put those two t- two things together, and Sporting spent the first half trying to get the ball into Willie on service. There's nowhere to go. There was nowhere to. They were they were they were sort of, you know, left with the only option of trying to bang in crosses from wide because uh, because Tommy was getting turned over a lot when he when he tried to cut inside or they when they tried to use that half space for combination, uh, but also like they just had it really locked down and as we know with this team and it has been a, the case for many, many years when they run out of ideas, they get wide and banging crosses. Now yeah. I'm not as concerned about it with this team when they have a center forward, who's actually pretty good at heading mm-hmm. the ball. The problem you had here is that Dallas is ready for it. They knew that that was what's going to be left and they had their center backs all over Willie and there was just nowhere to go. I, I, I didn't even look at the numbers, but I can't, I can't even think about the number of aerial duels. Matt Hedges must've won in this game. And, um, it was just there was nowhere for the ball to go. And I texted you at halftime. I was like, look, Sporting's got to dial up the press and the, the counter press in midfield and turn the ball over because they're not going to get any space by this build out from the back thing that they were doing. Yeah. I mean, Dallas wasn't picking up the press until like the half line. Yep. They were just letting Sporting play up to the half line and then really settling from there. And I was like, you you've got to find a way when Dallas gets the ball to turn them back over. You gotta get you gotta dial the press up hard and dial the counter press up hard. And they did actually right after halftime. You saw them get some chances. The the goal that they get 
is actually because of that. Willie Agata is pressing. He gets the ball in a turnover. He gets to drive into the box, and he hits that ball over, and it's kind of this, you know, weird sort of recycled thing that happens, and eventually, you know, uh, Tommy drops it for Zussi at the top, and he bangs it home. But, yeah, they're – they were, it was kind of, it was kind of funny. Cause I had mentioned to you is like, I, they really need to figure out how to way to get, uh, to get turnovers to create an advantage. And they started doing it pretty heavily. Um, but it only lasts so long. Again, it's hard when you've got all these guys that have to run and do all that crazy pressing to be successful. And, you know, a few oh, of them and just to go 30s. back to what we were talking about. Yeah. To go back to what we were talking about earlier, if you don't have, if, if you're trying to win the ball back and you don't have the player who can win the ball back, <laughs> that's, you, you know, you're, you're just relying. The guy that's, the guy that's most successful yeah. at doing this is about to be 36 years old yeah. and just played a half of football in this, in this heat. I, it's, that's the, that's the point we keep coming back to. So I don't want, we don't want to beat this drum too hard. We've been saying it for about a month, but you know, it, it's clear to me where the most important addition needs to come from. And if you need to jettison one or two of these center backs in order to afford it, I'm okay with that. Um, this was this was the return of bad Fantas. <laughs> I mean, holy smokes, man. He, you know, like I feel like what happened over like the last month or two months is that you know, we we were reminded of simpler and greater, nicer times like last season when Fontes was mentioned in the Defender of the Year campaign, all this stuff. It's like, wow, like this guy's got his form back and whatnot. He's like, no, he's still the same guy. Um, and when you go up against a team that can really attack you quickly, he's a liability. Yeah. And I, I texted you. I, I don't even know if it was like a thing, it, it's hard for me to tell if he is unable athletically to move at the speed you need him to, to react in some of those sort of um, chaotic circumstances, or if he's just, it's just his personality to not overreact to anything. I can't tell which one yeah, it is. It, it might be a little bit of both. Um, it seems more like a feature, not a bug. You yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah. But I will say that, you, you, man, when when you get old like that, I, the older I get, the just the 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 mind is willing, but the body is weak, you know. And and yeah, but Fontas has had this problem since uh, he's been at Sporting. Uh, that, this is that not is, a new. That's true. I mean, look. So 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 right. there's a so there's a reason um, he wasn't a uh, an A squad Barcelona player, right? I mean, there's a reason that that he's in MLS, and and that's uh, almost certainly a big part of the reason. Uh, it's it's. You have you have to be able to handle the physicality um, component of being a um, uh, a center back as well as the, the the passing and obviously he's a he's a he's just a superb passer of the ball um, but if if you if he's not able to to, to cover uh, for mistakes to happen or turnovers turnovers to happen and if you don't surround him with people who can help cover for him then then you're just asking for trouble and and um that's kind of what we what we wound can up I with. say something though i think ec had probably his best defensive game in months in yeah. this game he was actually cutting out a lot of this stuff when it happened there were a number of transition moments that ec cut out um the couple times 
that Ferreira got clean, it was with EC and he did, he did, he played him exactly right. He pushed him to the far yeah. post and, and gave McIntosh the ability to make a save. There were, there was a couple times where he got out in front of him, got on his horse, got in front of him and kicked the ball away. Like I saw EC making these plays. I just never saw Fontas making them. And even, and when he would get into these leverage situations, it almost looked like he just, there was no urgency. Yeah. Right. And, and again, I'm not saying that overreacting is good because we see the opposite side of that with Courtney Ford. Sometimes he gets a little bit too reactive and cleats somebody. Right. <laughs> so there's like, there's a, there's, but there's gotta be somewhere in the middle with this. And, and my secondary issue is, you know, you're going against a team with extremely active wingers and a center forward. That's going to drop back and combine and release them. That is exactly what Dallas does is mm-hmm. try to get on the break with their wingers. Maybe they're doing it more direct. Normally they're not necessarily counterattacking like they were in this game, but they're definitely trying to get those wingers into space to run onto the ball. That's their goal. Yeah. And you make no changes to your center back pairing. Yeah. You just roll out the same guys and just there, there's no tactical sort of decision based on the traits of your players. And this just seemed like an ideal game for Courtney Ford to be playing in because you know you're going to be running back to catch those guys a bunch and you don't have two center backs that are good at that. And that's a part of it, again, that I I struggle with. The coach is so insistent on this consistency and sort of what I know kind of philosophy that there's no tactical nuance to the opponent you're playing and why now to be fair this game meant nothing to sporting so maybe peter's getting one last look and making a decision of who he's going to keep and who he's not i don't know if that is or is not the case but i like to think that we're trying to win every game and i thought this was a prime opportunity for courtney ford to put his stamp on the fact that he can try and earn a position next year Mm -hmm. it was obviously the case for kendall mcintosh why else would you start that guy right you're you're taking a look to see can i let tim melia go that's the yep. only reason you start Macintosh in this game is because is this guy legit? Can I roll with him in Pulse Camp next year and feel confident? And yep. candidly, I think you can. Yep. Like his performance was very good. Two goals notwithstanding, he played very well in yep. this game. And so why can't you make those kinds of determinations with other players? And I guess, you know, you're not going to move on. Courtney Ford's on a two-year deal, so you're not going to move on from him regardless. Mm-hmm. But I, I still think that it's like maybe he's on an option here. I think he might be a one plus one. But you pick up that option for what he's getting paid and what his value is to this team. I just – I don't know. I, I, I that, that kind of decision continues to confound me. And I understand that Fonte is an extremely positive locker room presence. Yep. Everyone on the team loves him. He's, you know, basically the backup captain um, when when – Johnny or Raj isn't on the field. So like, I understand some of that stuff, but man, it just, it seemed like this game was tailor made to exploit his weaknesses. Yeah. It's just, we, we keep coming back to this, this, uh, this idea that with every one of these players, you're just bal- you're balancing their, their liabilities versus the, the things that they bring, right, and the positive things that they bring, um, and um, and and I think that that your point is a good one. That, that those things uh, those things can change um, in, uh, according to what, what game you're in and who your opponent is, right? And so and so definitely when you when you look at the the uh, the opponent, uh, 
having uh, having Fantas in there, um, his his he didn't he didn't make a positive enough impact to justify uh, his inclusion, right? So so his. I, I understand that that maybe um, if if you're playing a team that's more defensive, um, and I don't know, maybe maybe they didn't realize that Dallas was going to sort of uh, sit in, in, in a little bit lower. Uh, but 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 you know, e- even then, um, you still need um, you know you, you still but have then, the you okay. still have the ability to but change. Then, but then you up. make halftime subs. You make right. Halftime so that's subs to that's what I was just going to say. Yeah. If your if your center backs are not mm-hmm. offering anything now, granted, this is just not Peter's way. And, right. and, that's, and, that, and that's true. He's he's always going to be the last person. He's going to to your point earlier. He's going to wait for way too much information telling him this just yeah. isn't working before he finally makes that call. I think we're both advocating for a scenario where, hey, look. Let's be proactive about making this change. I yeah. recognize that the quality of my two extremely good passing center backs is negated by the fact that Dallas is just letting us play up to the half line before they yeah. even pick up anybody. So what I need to do in that situation is ensure that I've got the right type of um, counterattacking defensive people out there to manage that. I would immediately bring on Ford and Pierre. Because now all of a sudden you got guys that can track back, have yeah. the speed, have the ability to do that. And then you can continue your press and doing all the things that you want to do. Probably Hernandez. I'd probably make all three of them. Now, granted, that's a lot. And it's a lot of young people that don't, and you're taking experienced people off the field, but you're down one nothing in a game that doesn't matter. And you're trying to see if these guys can react and, mm-hmm. and these tactical shifts can actually change the game. And I think what happened instead is he just made the tactical change and didn't make the personnel change. So it worked to get the goal. But then 15 minutes later, these guys are gassed out of their minds. And you see what happens on the goal that Ariola finally gets, right? Dallas brings in their subs. They got a bunch of fresh guys. Raj makes a boneheaded uh, um, turnover. Zussi falls on his ass trying to get back to make a tackle. And it's a tap in partly because Fontas doesn't, he's just like lineman jogging across the top of the six and doesn't even like look, check his shoulder. Like this is some, I was really mad when I saw this because I watched it live and I watched Ariola just run right by him and tap it in. And I'm like, just infuriated because you know how much I care about center defenders and like how they play. And I like look at this stuff and for him to just just jogging along, not checking his shoulder for a runner behind, like you're the only guy there. Yeah. Like what is this is like this is like simple shit. And this is the stuff that we were going on and on about at the beginning of the year when they would make these boneheaded, like like very basic mistakes. Yeah. And 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 that's the kind of thing that we saw there. And it was just really frustrating. It, the same thing on the deflected goal. I don't know what the hell he's doing on that play. Yeah. Like if you're trying to get down for a block, get down for a block, but don't just sort of stand there sort of halfway, whatever, and then effectively allow him to use your leg to pass it into the goal. Like I, I it, well, for, it, for, for two thirds of the season, the, this pair of, of, of center backs were, were, were pretty terrible. They were absolutely at least below average, but they were, I mean, 
when you when you look at how many goals Sporting's given up over the season, I mean that that tells you all you need to know. They are, they were just not good, and they were they were inconsistent in every game. It was it was some other boneheaded play that that they made, and it wasn't just one of them. It was both of them, and 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 we've talked before about the importance of having a, a, a center back pairing that. That is uh, that has a rapport with one another, that plays well off of one another, that covers for one another, that 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 communicates, and they cover for you know each other's uh, uh, weaknesses and and amplify each other's strengths. And like this pair of guys is not that. Right. I mean, there are there are times when one may be okay and and the other might be okay on another time and and every once in a while they'll both play really well. But but it's just not it's not what you need. It's not what what uh, it's not what a successful back line and a successful team is built upon. It's just like like let me put it this way. Nashville SC is paying, I think, even less for their center back pairing than we are. And I would swap with them in an instant, in an absolute instant. Like, I understand the philosophy of what they were trying to do with these guys, and you have these guys that can range into midfield and deliver mm-hmm. a pass yeah. and do all their kind of stuff. Like, I, I get it. But if they are bad defenders, yeah, <laughs> like, they're yeah. defenders first, man. Yeah. Their, like, their, their ability to pass doesn't it doesn't compensate for their poor defending and lack of athleticism. This That's is like this is like the whole this is like the whole Zach Steffen versus yep. Matt Turner debate, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, he's really good it, with his it, feet. It is. Well, his, his first uh-huh. fucking job is to stop the ball from going in the goal. Yeah. Okay. We need to do that first. Yeah, it's, it's exactly Zach that Steffen debate. is yep. is ostensibly bad at that. Like he's yeah. not good at stopping yeah. the ball from going in the goal, but he's good at passing. So what? Mm-hmm. Uh, like people and like, and, and much like these. Guys, uh, much like these guys, Zach Steffen is good for like one completely boneheaded game per per oh game. One one completely boneheaded play per game. Like like he almost every game I watch, he he just does something inexplicably stupid, and and uh, you don't want that from your goalkeeper. That's as like, we have <laughs> learned since 2015. Great goal, great like um like ball stopping goal goalies are much more valuable than ones that pass and you can teach them to pass. Yeah. Like look at how much better Tamelia is with the ball at his feet versus 2015. And yeah. it didn't, it wasn't really that big of a detriment to this yep. team prior to, prior to him getting better at it. And so, yeah, it's the same way. It's like, and I'm not saying you can teach a central defender to be able to hit a 40 yard ball. Some, some of those guys, you either got it or you don't by the time you get to the pro level. But the thing is, Robbie Volader does have it. We know yeah. he has it. Yeah. Like they're, and, and, and we've seen Courtney Ford do it also. And he can do it as well. So, yeah. like, why are we continuing to put these guys out there that we just know have problems with counterattacks? They just they suck yeah. at it. And sure enough, like, it, it, again, Nico Estevez, hat tip. Like, it was a perfect game plan for taking apart this team, which was on a roll. He's like, look, I know what to do in this situation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let them possess and come forward. We're going to mm-hmm. burn them behind. I know I can still do it because these are the same defenders that got burnt for two-thirds of the season. Yep. Like, the only reason they weren't getting burnt is because no one was putting them in the position to because Sporting was be able, able to manage possession against teams with less strong midfields. 
and and they were able to turn the ball back over before it became a problem. Well, so, and sporting and sporting's it, been able to with the, with some of those teams that were uh, that were not as good as Dallas. Sporting was able to focus their possession in the midfield to pull those teams out, and Dallas uh, was not having any of that. I mean, that, like you mm-hmm. said, they weren't really pressing until after uh, Sporting got over half, and even then, I mean, they were they were applying pressure, but they weren't really pressing. Right? They would apply pressure, but then they would draw. Uh, they were they were happy to to drop and assume a more defensive posture and and try and win the balls um, when they went out to the wings. Like we know that that's gonna that that's what's gonna happen. And um, and you know, well, think to, about all the places where Tommy has been really dangerous for the last couple months. It's when he's gotten on the ball in space, driving mm-hmm. towards zone fourteen. Right. He's yeah. doing that sort of inward cutting run with the ball, driving towards zone 14. In those circumstances, he can either drop it off, he can take a rip. There's a variety of things he can do from that position. Yeah. When they're 10 behind the ball, he can't do that. No. There, well, I mean, he there's nowhere for him to go, right? Like he he can, he can get to zone 14, but there's nowhere for him to go with the ball. He can't take those rips. He can't do certain things. And sporting did a much better job in the second half of uh, again, pressing and counter pressing to get him some space to be able to take some rips, and they did get some. Um, I mean, he had. I thought he had the the match tying one later. We can we can get to the rundown really quick. Actually, if, it's probably a perfect time to do it. Um, the The first thing I would say is like, <laughs> it was a rather it was a rather dubious um, start for Sporting. This offside goal for Ariola. I. I didn't hear much explanation of what was going on here. I assume it's because Ariola was off in the buildup. Was that why they called it? Because when O'Brien headed it, he wasn't offside. So yeah, yeah I, was I have a no idea. Confused. Honestly, I was confused too. I mean, Ariola was way offside on the original like cross in, but when O'Brien headed it, he was not. So I don't. Anyway, they call it offside, but. Um, I don't have much to say about this play because honestly, I don't think Sporting did anything drastically bad here. It was just a really good play by Dallas. It was like three guys just making one touch plays on the move. And the way that Ariola sort of touched it down and then slotted it by was really high quality. So I'm not going to get too mad here. Um, on the goal that they scored, that Legit scored, obviously was the deflection. And I've said all the things I want to say about Andre Fontas uh, on that situation. Um, the thing that I noticed here that that goes back to what we started the podcast talking about is Remy is making a recovery run here and he's not cutting out this cutback pass. And that's the kind of stuff that a defensive minded midfielder does naturally. If that's Tyler Adams, he is right there making sure that cutback can or, be made. or Busio for that matter. Busio was good at it. He was actually really good at reading space in those situations, yeah. like knowing where the other guy was and standing in the way. And Remy looked a little lost. He was running. He was running back, but he, his instincts aren't right to cover that play. And that's the kind of play that I think a defensive-minded number six really helps us out. So 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 much about uh, someone who plays that that position at a very high level is is really about positioning, right? It's about it's about off ball positioning. It's about making sure that you're that you're providing structure to the to your team's shape, wh- whether they're whether they're defensive, whether they're uh, attacking. Like that's kind of your job is to is to is to 
just sort of, <laughs> I mean, it sounds so simple, right? It's just to like it does, be but, in that space. But, but think about it this and, way. Think about how many times we've seen Diego Chara cut that pass out. Yeah. Like he cuts it out. Just because he's every there. Every time. Yeah. <laughs> right? But he knows I mean, to be there. Like right. that's the point, right? right. That's just, the point that we're making. Just like the flip side is, is you know, um, um, oh my gosh. Drew, man, I my brain just, uh, it just completely draws a blank. Uh, what when you, you look at for? Uh, uh, Wondolowski, that's the name. Of oh yeah, Holy Wanda. Cow. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's it's like it's it's the flip side of that, right? Somebody who's able to find space and attack. Well, these guys, like your job, your job as an attacker is to find an exploit or make an exploit space. Your job as a defender is to is to take away space, and and people who are good, like like defensive midfielders who are really good at their jobs are excellent at taking away that space and you don't always have to be you know making hard tackles and 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 interceptions it's not you don't always have to be that sometimes you just have to be a body in the right place right uh to, don't allow the pass just yeah, just gum just it up in the way so that, like so they don't they can't see yep. that pass yep if if the if the cutback isn't available all of a sudden that play and then and then your defenders can recover there's yeah. a variety of things that happen either so, they like, attempt the pass and you cut it out or they don't attempt the pass because you're standing right in the way like that it's really kind of and and i understand it, it this is dynamic and it's happening at speed but i think the 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 comparison that we're trying to make here is that a high level defensive minded six makes this play and remy for his positively as he's played the position for the last two months is not a defensive minded midfielder. That's not, no. that's not his forte. And as such, we see in these sort of, you know, chaotic counterattacking sequences where they've got the ball up into zone 14, that he's not as adept at snuffing them out. Yep. And that's just the reality of the situation. I'm not saying bad. I love Remy Voltaire. He's going to be a great player for this team for a couple. Well, I don't, he only has one year left on his deal, I think. But I think he's going to be around for a bit. I like him a lot as a player. I think that he has deficiencies in this area. And I think that, to our point earlier, we need some more players with these thought with these you know abilities to be able to help um, snuff out those types of problems when yep. they occur. The best teams in the league have players to do this. Have you seen how good that uh, New York has played since Keaton Parks has come back? It's been unreal. How much I have not been. watched them, but I, I've, I've noticed their, you know, how how much that 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 boat has been steadied, and and how how they're you know they're getting results, and um, they they ended the season. Um, Alex Kyens is back well. too, so that yeah, both that, that Kyens and Keaton Parks yeah. are, are back, and and they're both playing. At I mean, I mean, look, it's it's like it's that. not rocket science, man. If you if you have a strong spine you're going to have a strong team, you know, at least at minimum, you will have a competitive team if you have a strong spine. Um, and that's, you know, center backs, defensive midfielder and center forward, right? If you've, if you've got something um, at, at each one of those levels, you're, you're, <laughs> that's, that's the recipe for, for a, building a successful team. You start there and you build out. And the reason sporting, you know, dug themselves a deep hole um, is is because they leaked goals incessantly and that's because the, the whatever whatever's going on with the center backs wasn't figured out then and it still obviously has not been figured out so it's got to be figured there's, out 
yeah, there's there's <laughs> work to do. And I, yeah. I think that that's the key takeaway from this game, right? It's like easy. I almost am mm-hmm. glad that this happened. I'm going to be yeah. completely honest. Like, I'm almost glad this happened because it's a it's a reminder that there are still structural problems with mm-hmm. this team that need to be addressed. I don't think Peter ever believed that there weren't. Like, I think he was glad that the team was playing well and that no. they turned it around with the players that they added. But the way he was talking last week and about the changes that are coming, I think he knew that there were, you know, more structural problems need to be addressed that weren't necessarily being exposed. The level of opponent the sporting has played for the last couple months has also played into their results. Like that's that's another thing that we discussed um, with Mike on Twitter over during during the game. And you know, again, it's it's clear that you know the last time they really got blown through in the midfield like this was against Austin, who is a much higher quality team with really good midfielders. So I, I also think also that, played a four three three, you know, similar yep. a similar team mm-hmm. in in many respects. And a four three three can overwhelm a single pivot pretty easily, right? Yep. It's kind of interesting that you because you, you've got two yep. forward midfielders, it, it's it's easier to overwhelm a single pivot that way. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting when you have two, four, three, threes going against each other, you know, the, the pluses and minuses of doing so. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what, so Graham Zussi gets his goal. We talked about this one a little bit. Johnny gets on the left side. That's the one thing we didn't talk about is one thing I've noticed over the last like month or so is Johnny and Daniel are switching sides a lot more. And when they switch, they stay there for, you know, 10 minutes or so before they switch back. I'm not quite sure what the purpose is behind it. I do think Johnny is able to deliver a ball in much better from the left because he's left-footed, and I feel like they're trying to serve the ball from deeper more because of the center forward they have. So I And the same thing for Shallowy. He's right-footed. So you would sort of think that their ability to cross would be better from those lanes. Um, also, Johnny just does not seem to be 1v1-ing fullbacks anymore. I don't know why, but I don't know. If, it just doesn't seem to be a thing that he's doing as much. But I mean, have you I notice think, anything about like what happens when they switch? I don't think he's. I don't think he's getting the ball deep enough to take on um, to take on fullbacks. I think that um, it's very rare that our uh, wing players try and get in behind. Like it almost never happens. The they're almost always played defeat and then putting Eric Tommy in behind, for instance, or maybe Felipe Hernandez on the other side. Um, um, doesn't you know? Roger rarely does makes that run. But uh, but so so when when you're when you're using your wingers like that, right? To to sort of facilitate possession and um, by coming back to the ball and checking to the ball instead of uh, instead of you know running into that you know whatever space is 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 there, you're not going to have you're not going to have guys toasting fullbacks like that because their backs their backs to the to the goal, right? Um, and um, so, so I think that that's part of it. Um, and and you know, I they they have been switching a lot. I I think it's mostly just to uh, you know just to kind of switch things up and keep teams off balance to, to make sporting less predictable. Because you know, let's be let's be honest. I mean, sporting is a pretty predictable team, right? They, they're predictable in the way they set up. They're predictable in the way they they attack. That doesn't mean that they can't be successful because we've seen them be very successful and still be predictable in that in that manner. But but they are predictable, and so it's just I think a little thing to switch it up. Uh, I'm I, I I mean I don't I'm not really crazy about it. I don't think it really does anything, and I don't. Um, it's it's hard for me to remember a lot of times when um, when those two players uh, switching 
um, sides really um, sort of disrupted a, a defense. But, you know, well, whatever. let me tell you why I brought it up, because right. the goal that Zussi scored was Johnny on the left bending a cross in. And while it didn't get to Agata's head, it was a really good ball. Like it was probably the best chance Agata had of trying to head one other than the one he tried to kick that he should have headed in my opinion. Um, he, it was a really good ball in from Johnny on his left foot and it recycled out to Tommy who then cuts it back to Zussi as he's coming to the top of the 18 and allows him to slot it home. So that was the reason I brought it up because I don't think Daniel shallowly hits this ball from that position. So I, I do think that there are some differences based on where these guys are playing. Um, let me put it this way. I think that the way the team is playing right now, when they switch sides, it's much more of a benefit to Johnny Russell being a part of mm -hmm. the attack than it is for Daniel Shallowy. I think Daniel Shallowy is fairly anonymous when he's on the right yeah. versus when he's on the left. Um, now, part of it may have to do with the fact that Johnny Russell is a 32-year-old, you know, player with a lot more experience playing both wings and knows what to do in those different situations. And Daniel has basically played on the left of Sporting's offense for the entirety of his career. Yeah. So I think that maybe there's something to be said about that. And Daniel's trying to figure out his best way to work on the right side. Also, Daniel plays off the fullback a lot more. Yeah. And there's no fullback next to him on the right yeah, side. Yeah, I think that's so I think, I think that's a really excellent point. Honestly, I think that that's a big part of 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 what's going on. I mean, if KP is in that game, I think that Daniel plays a little, and he did play a lot better yeah. when um, when um, KP got in when they were over there on the same side for as long. You know, so I I think that you know it's just different dynamics, and and that's mm -hmm. the point. Like for me, if I can see that, I hope the coaching staff can see that. And you start to think about how these partnerships can work a little bit better and with how you manage personnel in these games. Um, okay, two minutes later, Eric Tommy um, hits a freaking stinger off of Martin Poss's hands. Um, so the one thing I would say is this, Sporting had 19 shots in this game. It's not like they sucked ass. So I, I we, we spent a lot of time talking about the recurrence of some of the bad things that happened. I talked about it in the open. It was actually a fan, fascinating tactical battle. Yeah. Because you had, you, you know, you had Sporting wanting to do what they wanted to do. You had Dallas sort of trying to play off it so that they could do what they wanted to do. And it was a back and forth match. It wasn't significantly better for Dallas than it was for Sporting as far as the chances created or any of those kinds of things. The XG was pretty even. So I don't want to make it sound like it was super dour. It was a very competitive match away at the third place team in the West. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure that th I can. There were there were actually fans in the stands. I mean, not a full house. I was kind of no. surprised. I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, bro, like this is your last home game of the season oh, and trying to win I, to get I a was, home match. I was a, impressed with how many fans were there. I it's it's rare that you see that bro, many people. When you're when you when you're impressed that they got 60% <laughs> capacity, I don't I don't know what to say. The yeah. other thing too is is that for all we know, like Dallas does that thing where they put all the fans on the camera side of the field. That's uh like, they they do that absolutely. So who who the hell knows who was on the uh, on the uh, the the shade side of the field? You would think that everyone would want to sit in the shade. So who knows? Um, anyway, um, this was like it was a really good sequence by Tommy where he he. Um, so this is where this is actually where Willie Agata got in space off the press, and then um, 
um, is a little late crossing it over to Tommy's side, but he gets it because it's sort of headed towards him, and he and he tries to place one far post, and unfortunately doesn't get it there. And then, of course, the game-winning goal from Ariola. We already covered this. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm too mad about Fontes just jogging along the top of the six and watching Ariola just drive by him. Um, 75th minute. Uh, this this is the one that I was thinking of specific example wise where I was happy with EC and how he defended in transition. Ferreira gets clean on a pretty simple ball over the top. I'm a little annoyed how easily this ball over the top got Ferreira into space. Um, that's a secondary issue, like sporting being this easy to play over the top of. But they did what they I mean, in Dallas is very good at this. This is what they normally do, right? For mm-hmm. possession. They're gonna try yeah. and they're gonna try and play direct. And Ferreira makes a really nice run. And it's he's basically 1v1 with EC. And EC does exactly what you're supposed to do. He runs along his shoulder, shepherds him to the far post, gives him a limited angle. So when he tries to cut it back, McIntosh is able to cover it and makes a save. It was actually really good, solid, like both the defender and the goalkeeper being on the same page of what's happening and sort of cutting his angle off and then understanding, you know, where the where the far post was to be able to come back to it. And then, like, literally, like, right after this, I think McIntosh throws it straight back out. And Felipe, this is the thing about this. We talked about earlier about how they had midfielders sort of pinching over the left side to take over the left half space away from Tommy. There was a ton of space on the right side of the midfield. But as we know, that's not Raj's thing. Him driving into that space is not his Mm -hmm. thing. Felipe, at this point, is in the game. He gets in that space and just takes off and just drives down the field. And he's like, if you're not going to come mark me, I'm just going to keep going. And he drove it all the way to the top of the 18, um, probably carries it 40 yards at speed and and does it at a fairly high rate of speed. And um, Johnny is like kind of right on the edge of the 18. He pushes it to Johnny, um, who hits just a peach of a cross to Willie. And... I don't know why Willie tried to kick this. I don't know if he didn't think he could get there with the diving header, but like I think of that that header that he scored where he yeah. almost got punched in the face by Dane mm-hmm. Sinclair. Like I, I, I was thinking that he would dive at the ball. You know what yeah. I mean? Because I felt like it was in the range that he could dive at it, and he tried to kick it, and it just didn't really come off. And anyway, but still, it recycles back to Eric Tommy who does his little dribble across the top and rips one and Poss makes another really good save. Like Martin Poss had a pretty good game too. Yes, he did. Like, yeah. Um, we, we always seem to bring out the best in, uh, opposing, in opposing goalkeepers, <laughs> <laughs> except for David Bingham. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Anyway, so yeah, it, it it was actually a really good sequence, and I thought I I really thought we were going to equalize there. The ball that that Johnny hit into Willie, I was really surprised that that wasn't a goal. Yeah. Um, well, and, and to your what point, like happened? like Shallowy doesn't Shallowy doesn't make crosses. You know, he is that's he not is, his thing. He's no, not. He's not an on the ground player. Yep. That's 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 mm-hmm. and that's okay too. Yeah, absolutely. Shallowy also Shallowy also hits some fucking bangers from the corner. Yes, he does. Like yeah. he's he's just a different winger than Johnny is, and that's but, that's okay. But but to your point though, I mean that that it that that makes it 
really difficult for him to find his groove on the right side. Um, and yep. so it's just like, you know, what, what is he supposed to do? Is he supposed to dribble in, you know, um, uh, on his left? Is he supposed to, you know, take it to the end line and cut it back? I mean, he would have I, to kind of come to the end line being right footed, wouldn't yeah. he? So and then you've got that, you that would make be, sure that people are making runs off of that and understand yeah. that that's what he's going to do. And, and you know what, know. like, 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 Sporting is generally not that team to make um, to make like late runs out of the midfield. You know they're not they don't do that very much. I mean I know that that's Felipe why Luis Martins. Think, ne- that's right. why Luis de Martins never did shit here because right. that's all he did is go to the end line and cut it back. To the right. Top. There's never there's never, <laughs> there's, never, never any, there's never midfielders <laughs> running into the box for that. Nope. They got to stay back yeah. and be. Uh, we don't have we, we don't have Weston McKinney. So no, um, no, we don't. So yeah, it, it's it is a it is a, a problem for sure, and yeah, I I think that unless KP is going to be over there, it's yeah. hard for him to have someone to combine with on that yeah. side. Um, Velasco almost scored a worldie right at the end of the game. Do you remember this when he hit the post? Absolute, just like. I saw him cut in and rip it, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and I saw it. He just banged off the post, and I'm like, <laughs> and there's nothing you can do in that circumstance. It was just like a great player making a great play. But this is the thing that we've been talking about for a while. Um, if Sporting is to sign a young DP like it appears they can, can we get one of these kind of fucking guys, please? Yeah. That is just like unreal talent because that if they can go to Dallas – Certainly they can go to Kansas City. Right? I mean, you would think so. (laughs) Anyway, um, the last thing I want to cover in the rundown is my last Fonta slander of the night. Did you see this where he just gets absolutely abused by Jesus Ferreira? Uh, they, it was like they, right, they, they've right all they've the all kind of merged together, Drew. I don't. I, I don't mean, know that I remember this one specifically. So Ferreira gets in transition, and this time he's one v one with Fonti, and five holes him like just the easiest like five hole and run by that you've ever seen. Just like megs him so easily. Like Fonti's like super like spread eagle trying to defend Jesus Ferreira. <laughs> he just like whoop and runs by him and is 1v1 with McIntosh. And credit to McIntosh for jumping out and making a really great save, like cutting the angle down, staying big, doing all the things that you need to do. But I mean, again, it's the 88th minute against 32 year old Andre Ufantas in Dallas. I, I, I understand why he's a little bit, you know, gassed, but. Jesus played that whole freaking game too. Granted, he's 21. Um, just abused him, man. And it was just like the it was just like the cherry on the top of the ice uh, of the of the Andre Ufanta shit Sunday that we were served. <laughs> I, I it was just not. It was just like oh my god. And that was Look, that was the point where I was like, okay, we need to let this guy go. Speaking I, I, as I know another he's a nice guy, he's a good dude, and all the things, locker room, whatever. If Speaking I gotta that, watch this guy start for thirty games next year, I might like, uh, might lose my mind. Speaking as another old slow guy, if a kid does that to you, you have to put them on their ass. Like that's yes. that's all there How is. How many to times have we like just? Well, it would have been a dog so red if he did it because <laughs> okay. he was the last man back. Maybe, you maybe he wins the ball. You know, Andre Ufanta is gonna <laughs> win the ball in that circumstance. Bro, come on. <laughs> No, it would have been dog so red, but it was the 88th minute. You could probably get yeah, away with whatever. it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because um, yeah. hadn't they already subbed on Ford at that point and playing three at the back? So yeah, I whatever. think so. Yeah. Um, 
anyway, it was just, again, it was just sort of a capper to what was, you know, <laughs> a reminder of a fairly poor um, performance from, from our guy, um, Fonte. Hopefully he gets a nice off-season break, and I don't know, I don't know, like, I, I, I was just reminded of the things he does that just really infuriate me. <laughs> um, let's move on to things that are also frustrating. Um, the U.S. Women's National Team. Holy oh my smokes. gosh! Did you watch these games. I, you know, I watched. I watched one half of uh, of the first game, uh, and it was it was. Uh, it didn't it was, get better. It, didn't it was get grim <laughs> to come back and use that term. It was grim. I don't. It didn't understand. get better. The the thing and Vlaco did some freaking galaxy brain shit that I just like. It's it's along the lines of Burhalter sometimes. With that, it's just like so so familiar and how he's he's like sort of an ideologue about his system and trying to manage a system and not players now part of this problem and as i said to you is Mm -hmm. let's just list these off morgan macario pew press all out (laughs) okay these are all like extremely high quality attacking players elite like elite like top 15 in the world attacking players that were not available. Um, also, Julie Ertz hasn't played in forever after having her baby, uh, being pregnant and then having her baby. And I got to be honest, I like Andy Sullivan, but she's not Julie Ertz at the six. And and this goes back to a conversation that we've had all year about, <laughs> um, you know, a single pivot and how important it is that you have a really good player at that position if you're going to do it. And yeah. When you lose the quality at that position, it makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and Vlaco's rotated a bunch of people through that position, and none of them really do it at that level. So I think that that's part of the problem in the spine. But the other thing was the one shining light I thought from the England game was Naomi Gurma. She played her fucking ass off in that mm-hmm. game. She gets sat <laughs> for the Spain game. They leave Alana Cook out there with Becky Sauerbrunn and Naomi Gurma sitting on the bench. And I'm like, did we watch the same game? Like, yeah, I mean, I, so, so, so this is why, um, this is why I, I really try not to read too much into friendly results, you know, because, uh, because who knows, who knows what, uh, what Vlaco was trying to do. Uh, just in general, who knows what Vlaco is trying to do? Because, you know, when I watch them, I can't, uh, I, I, I have, I I can't I think, perceive an actual system of any kind. So so I've I've never seen the team actually play good under him. Like never, I've never seen the team play well. I've never seen them play uh, like like they were like they were you know dominating and and saucy and just all the things that you would expect the best team in the in the world allegedly to to be. I, they have never looked that uh, under Vlaco, and and it's it's too bad because I because I love Vlaco. I think he's he's a he's a really good coach, and um um. You know, I think I don't know whether it was you I had this conversation with, but but he might just be one of those coaches who's who's much more suited to um, to club ball than than international ball, and and uh, that's fine. But they better find that out uh, sooner rather than later. Well, he's not going anywhere before the World Cup. Like he's going to be the yeah, coach in the World that's Cup. That's true. So it's a matter of like, can we get these players back? I, most of the issues that I saw with the team were um, in the spine as we've discussed over and over again, that's really important. And think about it. Um, center back, six, nine, yep. yeah. right? 
Yeah. And, and, you know, so you've got Alex Morgan unavailable. You've got, you know, Julie Ertz unavailable. Becky Sauerbrunn, as much as I love her, they've got to find something that is not just always Becky all the time because yeah. she's probably, well, she's like the oldest player on the team at this point. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe Rapino's older than her, but, um, you know, they've got to figure that part out of it. And all of those are question marks in these matches. And so, uh, you know, we saw Sam Coffey play a little bit at the six. And I think that she could be a good, but she's much more of a creative six. She's not a destroyer. Julie Ertz is a destroyer. Yeah. She's, she's a like clean the ball up, clean, tackle the hell out of people, Mm -hmm. defensive midfielder. Like we talk about, um, we've been talking about this whole podcast and I don't think they have another player like that. So it's just, it's one of those things where, um, I agree with you. If you are quote unquote, allegedly the best team in the world, you should be playing better than this. They're missing some key talented players. Mm-hmm. I also think that the gap is significantly smaller yeah. than it ever, than it ever has been. And good. It should be yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. all of these other countries, England, Spain, France, they're all investing heavily in their women's programs. Um, their leagues are getting closer to NWSL and quality. Mm-hmm. Um, they have they have clubs within those leagues that are probably on par, if maybe not better than some NWSL clubs. So um, you're seeing the benefit of that. And good. It should be that way. It shouldn't be just a walk every time. But if that's going to be the case, some of these matches are going to feel a little bit more like what we're familiar with with international soccer, where it's a kind of a grind. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's it, because you're not going to have that, you know, ability to sort of tiki taka your way around the field and just sort of take teams apart. Um, and it, it should be hard. It should be difficult. Like that's, 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 that's advancement of the game. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm for that, but I'm a little bit concerned that these women might get left behind a little bit if they don't get their shit together. And I um, love, I love, I love uh, Mike McGrew's tweets whenever they lose. You know, he's like <laughs> sarcasm central. Like. Yeah, he, you know, he's like, well, this, you know, this is what happens when you uh, when you don't play. And then he lists off like, you know, like a half dozen players from the Casey current. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Haley Mace, actually, I thought played decent. She had some rough spots. She had some rough spots in the first match for sure. She played a lot better against Spain. Um, but yeah, I was I was glad to see her out there. But yeah, they're. There are some players. They're they're um, you know the, the, their pressing structure really uh, kind of bugs me. Like it, it doesn't. Uh, they seem to be really easy to play through, and they don't. Uh, they don't seem to be able to apply. I don't. Um, I don't know why they're pressing through the midfield because I don't feel like Haran and Lavelle are effective pressers. Do you? Yeah. So I mean, because look, I mean, the, this is the this is the. This is the problem. I, this is one of the problems with sort of, you know, the 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 popularity of you know sort of like the Barcelona style and the four three three and you know uh, the four three three counter press, you know, possess like that whole thing uh, that that uh, the United States. Uh, many many people in the United States, and I think at other places too, but especially in the United States, like they are so enamored with that, right? Like, like they idealize like, like it. US, the U.S. soccer. Ix like two thousand six. Yes, yeah, like like yeah. like when you if you take um, well, at least when I took my um, my uh, certification course, um, 
they preach like you playing the four through three, like that was that was what you play, right? Like that's what we want you to play. That's what you play. Uh, that's what like my son played all through his entire career. They haven't um, updated that book since 2005. It sounds you know, like. but the problem is, is that doesn't that doesn't fit every player, and that doesn't fit every um, every um, circumstance, you know. And and you know, one of the things we're finding out with my son is that you know, you know, he he um, um, he always played left back at a very high level, but but um, it looks like maybe you know he might have been better suited to 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 play in a double pivot. Um, um, for a long time, and and I think that there are a lot of players like that. And so when you when you as a as as a as a nation, you're like, oh, we're we're going to focus on playing like a four three three. Um, I just I just think that you um, you're leaving other styles and other types of players um, maybe um, well, think out about, of the of the think equation. About the, yeah, the some of the best teams in the world, both um, club and. Um, and national and think about how many of them play in a back three, mm-hmm. how many of them play in a three, four, three of some kind, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Three, four, one, two, three, four, two, one, that kind of thing. And so you've got the back three plus the double pivot for control. There's a reason that these teams all do this. Even Graham Potter's bringing it back yeah. at Chelsea. He yeah. tried the four, two, three, one for a second. He was like, nah, that, yeah, I'm going to, you know, he uses it sometimes and he uses it by the way, Graham Potter, much more tactically interesting than Thomas Tuchel. Holy shit! But um, I mean, the, the thing, the thing but, with the four yeah, two three one, you you have to have like a creative number ten type player, and you have mm-hmm. to, and you also that player, you you have to be able to scheme to make sure that that player isn't covered, right? I mean, that's you know because because if you if if you rely on one player to be sort of your creative hub, it's easy to plan game plan against that, you know. But the thing is, is like I feel like a double a. a a three back with a double pivot could be really functional for the U.S. women. Yeah, like I think it. Personnel. I think it could be very functional for the U.S. men, and I think yeah. it could be very oh, functional yeah. for Sporting Kansas City too. You know, I, you know, whatever. Yeah, but it, I mean, well, but what I'm saying is just the personnel that the the women have mm-hmm. seems to fit. They have a lot of central midfielders mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily defensive midfielders, but they're central midfielders that cover ground mm-hmm. and can be creative. And they have, um, they they do have enough center backs that, and I think, uh, an Alana Cook doesn't get as exposed in a back three as she does in a back in a pair, right? Um, and they absolutely have a fuck ton of people that can play wing back. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's yeah. like you 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 put all of that together, and then the forwards they have, like it it in a Katarina Macario. Um, either as a second forward in a three four one two, or as a half space merchant in a three four two one. Man, she's gonna destroy people in that role. Yeah, like Katarina Macario is probably the closest thing, the closest comparison I can come to is like Gio Reyna. Like she's kind of that player that could just basically eviscerate anyone from about the half line forward and just yeah. get her in space and let her do her thing. But that's what I'm saying is like, and granted, she was not available in these friendlies, but she, she has, about, she has a broken leg, doesn't she? Yeah. She's, yeah. She's so it's, it's, it's going to be until, until next year before she's yeah. available. Um, but I think a Trinity Rodman could work very well in that, in that kind of role as well. She's, she's pretty saucy and has creative skills. Sophia Smith could be really good in one of those places. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they have a bunch of players that could in this dual 10 sort of half space merchant role could be really effective. Uh, Mallory Pugh absolutely could do that. Like, so there are, 
like I think this is just a way to get these people in better places. And it also negates the defensive concerns you have with Megan Rapino at left wing because mm-hmm. you don't have to you don't have to cover for her with a defensively responsible left back mm-hmm. every time she's on the field because now she's tucked in a little more inside and you've got three defenders plus wing backs covering and yep. she doesn't have to have, have as much defensive responsibility it, and she's still obviously extremely technically skilled like you see it yeah. over and over again when she plays She's just, you know, again, similar conversation we had about Graham Zussi and yeah. Roger Espinosa yeah. earlier. Father Time's undefeated. But you can, you can paper over some of that stuff. So I, I, I feel like there's a – but the problem is, is I don't see how they could make this change now. Do you? Like the, the World Cup's in July. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, I, you, you never know. I mean, it, it really depends on the status of the pool. You know, if, 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 if they're going to keep having so many people who are out or for injured or, or other reasons, yeah. then you might not, you might not have a choice, you know, and, and it's really, you, you, you I don't know. I mean, so, this, I mean, this is the, this is my problem with, um, this is my problem with a lot of high level uh soccer coaches just in general is that you know it's you just can become blocked into this system right and um and if you don't have the players for that system um then then what happens you know like like you know if you you, you don't look like it, us it, did for the last right two games. if you That's if you happens. suddenly if you, if and you so you have to have some sort of uh some sort of tactical flexibility and um and and i don't you know, that's, it's, it's, it's a lot harder to do than it sounds. I mean, I, I think that th- to a big extent, like that's why Tuchel uh, is gone. And I think that that is a lot of the problem that, that, uh, um, that Greg has, has suffered through. And it's, uh, it's apparent that Vlatko is having similar issues. It's like when you don't have your, your, your first choice 11 or something close to that, what do you do? You know? Um, and do you, do, do you keep running out the, 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 you know, do you plug players in and try and run the same system or do you kind of, you know, tweak the system to fit the players that you actually do have? Well, my point is even when I think their first choice 11 plays in a three back better than yeah. it does in a, in a back four. Like could be. I, I just, I, I think that they could be, I mean, and this is me like considering what I would consider to be a first choice 11, but I think Sofia Huerta is a much better player as a wing back than a fullback. Um, they've got crystal Dunn, really shouldn't be playing left back but as a wing back it makes a lot more sense yeah that would be cool um, that would be fun to watch honestly yeah like th- those are players that could be a lot more useful in in those types of roles Haley mace plays left wing back all the time for the current yeah. like that's what yeah. she does so like you you've got people that that are familiar with those positions and let's be honest central midfield is probably the area with where there's the most there, there's the biggest dearth of available mm-hmm. quality right yeah. Especially when Sam Mewis is still injured. Now, when Sam gets back, that makes that a little changes bit things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and Sam Mewis controls that midfield really well. So, mm-hmm. like, but you're assuming she comes back and is immediately at, at a high level. Yeah. Um, you know, I I hope that that's the case, both for the U.S. women and the Casey Current. But um, you know, the reality is Sam Mewis could play great in a in a three four two one. Like she would be an exceptional player. Mm-hmm. In that type of setup, so it's not like you have to keep the four through three to give her a spot, like, yeah. and 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 to be fair, you know, there there's just not that many players rotating through that area, 
as far as like high quality that you must get on the field. Whereas the ones that you really need to get on the field probably function a little bit better in a wider, in a wider formation that allows them to play from wide in. Um, And, and the other thing that you brought up as far as the tactical flexibility, we're kind of blessed with watching Matt Potter do what he's done at the current this year, where you want to talk about tactically flexible, like Mm -hmm. it's the epitome of it. Yeah. And I, I think that it shows that, if you take your group of players that are available and put them in positions to succeed, it does work and you can find a system that allows them to be successful. It was, um, you know, going, going and watching that team uh, in person was actually like, uh, it was like really refreshing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Honestly, it was like, it's like, wow, this is interesting and entertaining and, and, and very cool. Um, and uh you know it 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 uh it was kind of a welcome change <laughs> to For uh, soccer nerds like yeah, you and yeah, i you like know. it's really fun because it's yeah. it is something so different and interesting and you're like wow like how did he come up with this yeah and it's i mean trust me all these coaches with a licenses are way smarter about this game and how you can yeah. use it than, than than either of the knuckleheads on this podcast but i would say that um it's just fun to see that kind of stuff and I don't think it has to be so mundane. You know what I mean? And that's what I feel like it's a game. It's a game, man. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be fun. It really is. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, uh, you know, the, both of those U S women's games, um, um, neither, neither one of them were fun. Um, And 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 I, I hesitate to call it like a, a formation problem. But the reality of the situation is what we're talking about, the same thing we're talking about with sporting, is if you're going to play in a single pivot, you better have a fucking lockdown six. You better have two really good center backs. You better have a really good striker. And they just did not have that in either of these games. Yeah. Like, if you're going to play in that way, and you're not going to do, like, the Burhalter thing where they drag Eunice Musa down alongside Tyler Adams, and you do, like, the different stuff. But they don't don't have Tyler Adams. The U.S. women don't have that. So... Like if you're gonna play in a single pivot, you better have someone of that of that level. And I I like Andy Sullivan a lot, but I think she's a double pivot player. I don't think that she's a single pivot, in, a, in at the international level. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Um. So we'll see. I I think it puts too much stress on the position, and I think that to your point, the world game has moved on from it. For the most part. <laughs> And we seem to be the last, we seem to be like all the teams we support seem to be the last ones to get, I mean, not our, not the ones we support in Europe, but the U S teams that we support. All oh, some of us, like the, the ones we support ones. in Europe too. That's true. Yeah. You I mean, have that problem. I will say that, um, I watched Liverpool this weekend and I felt like they were dragging uh Hendo back a lot more. Like he was, yeah, they, was they, not- they were, they're doing weird things like, like, yeah. you know, uh, he calls it a four two three one, but it really is like a four four two or a four. It was two, more of a four two, four two or a four two four in four, attack. Two, four, it yeah. Like yeah. Against um, Arsenal, that that mm-hmm. it was it was much more of a, especially after halftime when he brought in Firmino. It yeah. was it was like that. It was a four two four 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 two. But but the whole situation. the whole reason the whole reason you know. I mean, obviously, that used to be a big thing, um, you know, the the four four two and uh, counterattacking. The whole reason that that stopped being a thing is because the, of the four three three, and because if you put three midfielders in, in the there, midfield. you, yep. yeah, you, you know, it's and 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 so it's just I don't know. That's, but Arsenal, that's, but Arsenal, that's the, Arsenal doesn't play. Arsenal plays a you know plays a wide and three back setup, so it's a little bit different. 
That's the beautiful thing about soccer is it just like it's oh it, it never stays the same. You know, it's always sort of shifting and and bringing in bringing old ideas back to you know current times and and coming up with some new ideas and um, it's fascinating. I kind of uh, I kind of like it. I do too. Okay, one last thing. Let's cover real quick. I I don't know how much you've seen or read about this. Um, I just felt like it was important for us to just spend a couple minutes talking about it. Um, so a couple weeks ago, not even, well, actually about a little over a week ago, the Sally Yates report was released. So Sally Yates, former deputy AG, was contracted by U.S. Soccer to do a really deep investigation into a lot of systemic, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Just um, systemic concerns, issues of potential abuse, retaliation, things of that nature within women's professional soccer. And when I, I want to call it women's professional soccer because it goes back beyond the NWSL. It goes back to the WPS. It goes back to other professional like environments that have existed in the United States for women. Back, I think the report went far, as far back as like 2011. Um, so, and and I, there's a really good um, E60 documentary if you guys have ESPN Plus, and most of us do, so that we can watch MLS. There's a really good documentary on it where they really go back from the beginning and sort of explain back from like the 1999 World Cup and the 99ers and the win and they like kind of what happened with women's professional soccer in the United States and the structural issues that may have helped. I don't want to say helped create this, but certainly made it a scenario that it was a, it was a environment that was ripe for this type of concern and abuse. And um I just a couple things I would say about this as I'm as as I'm talking through it. Um, reporting is so important, like so so important to both shedding a light on these types of issues that exist within our game, and especially specifically to the women that play our game and play it professionally, um, women and girls that have had to deal with this. Because if you read the Sally Yates report, there were girls that, in based on the report, it sounds like were abused by their coaches. Um, it's so important that this reporting happens and, um, this investigation by us soccer was created by unbelievable reporting by Meg Linehan and, um, a number of others within the athletic that like, and the Washington post, the Washington post did some reporting on this as well. And I'm, I apologize. I don't know everyone's names in front of me right now. Um, Stephanie Yang, I think, is with The Athletic as well, that worked with Meg Linehan on this. Um, the Washington Post did some reporting on this as well that sort of forced the U.S. Soccer Federation to do their own investigation. And the NWSL and the NWSL Players Association is doing a joint investigation and then their own independent investigation as well that is still ongoing. And just it it's not until this information came to light that action was taken. And... It's really frustrating, to be completely honest, to read some of this stuff and know that this was brought to people and nothing was done about it until it was brought to light in the public eye. Um, I can't say I'm surprised that that happened, but it's really frustrating. It's disheartening. It's sort of anger inducing to read in detail about how certain environments were allowed to occur and I'm not going to go through all of them right now, but the reality of the situation is that it does not look good for 
anyone in leadership at the Thorns and Timbers. Um, definitely not for um, the Chicago Red Stars at the high level. Um, Louisville City, I was really surprised by, or really surprised by that. Or well, not Louisville City, but uh, who? What's the name of the women's team? Um, damn it, Racing Louisville. Racing Louisville. Thank you, Racing Louisville. And what they did with Christy Holly, the, and the way that they went about that, it looks terrible. Um, so again, journalism super important. I understand that not everyone's in the same financial situation, and everything's a subscription these days. But I will tell you that the athletic is by far the best reporting mechanism for our sport that I know of, and especially in the United States. And the folks within that group have spent an inordinate amount of time trying to bring this information to light. And I read that more than probably anything else. Um, And they did an exceptional job of bringing this information to light in the first place causing it to be investigated. And again, the sort of crass and blatant disregard that these men in these positions had, even as the investigation's ongoing, Gavin Wilkinson, (laughs) the Thorns and Timbers, after being removed from having any interaction with the Thorns from from, from the reporting in The Athletic, still gets a contract extension while this is ongoing this investigation's ongoing it just shows you like how much these guys just thought that they would never get caught that they had control of the situation at all times and as soon as this comes out in the sally yates report now Merritt paulson stepping back as president of peregrine sports which owns both the timbers and the thorns arnim whistler is um, basically been removed by the board of the red stars you know we've got all the other things that have happened with the orlando city coaches um with you know michelle yang now runs d uh runs the um the dc franchise herself based on all the things that have happened there but my thing that just like really just sort of upsets me is that that these people thought that they could just act like no, it was no big deal like mana shim's complaints that she made in 2015 Manishim played for the Portland Thorns and again I'm not going to re-adjudicate everything that's there please read the articles on the athletic please go watch the documentary but Manishim made complaints about Paul Riley on several levels like a variety of things that Paul Riley was doing that she felt were inappropriate and they were all really fucking inappropriate like they were bad like I work in a corporate environment and I'm like my stomach turns to hear some of this shit like Dude, people would be fired immediately if they were found to have done any of this stuff. And like, we'd be facing lawsuits for the type of behavior that these guys did. And I, I don't understand why that's not being dealt with in the same way here. But the, the stuff that she talked about and that she reported, and they turned it into basically, oh, well, they kissed in his apartment and that was bad. That was That was basically what it got boiled down to if you read this reporting. And it just shows that like there's a complete lack of awareness by some of these people in power because they're so used to being in power that they don't believe they can be touched. And it's just really frustrating to me. And so I know this is a bit of a rant. Um, I don't mean it to be that way. I am glad that some recompense 
is occurring at this point for some of these people that have committed these um I don't, I mean, atrocity is probably the right word, but I I don't want to compare it to other atrocities that have occurred, but have committed these um, terrible acts and it's something that deserves to happen. And I just hope, I'm so hopeful that people are learning from this, that these are not the kind of things that are okay. And maybe I'm not expecting old white guy with billions of dollars to own a soccer team is going to believe that he, you know, that should change his ways, but he should at least know that, you know, or is going to change his mind about what is or is not. Okay. I don't believe that those guys are ever going to change their minds. They're always going to defend themselves and feel like that they're okay in doing so. But I do believe that they'll change their behavior. And that's really the most important part of it. And I hope that that's what occurs here. So I would say, you know, uh, I would encourage people, um, like one thing that you can do um, as as parents or as supporters of local soccer is don't be afraid to draw a line. You know, um, I have seen um, I have seen a lot of uh, coach behavior uh, on sidelines and in practices uh, that that was uh, ridiculous, abhorrent. Right. Uh coaches screaming at kids um coaches coaches cursing at kids both their own kids and kids on another team um i've seen i've definitely seen parents doing that stuff but but um but when you know you you don't have to um you don't have to sign your kid up for that you know if you're a parent um uh there you can you can um you can coach a winning soccer team, a high level soccer team, and still be like a, a kind and generous person. You don't have to be an asshole. Um, and I, you know, I personally know of, of, of coaches who um, were very old school um, in, in the Kansas city metro area, male coaches who coached um, uh, girls teams um, at very high levels. Uh, and they were extremely abusive, right? Um, yeah, in terms of, uh, of their attitude, in terms of the way they conducted practices, um, just berating and, like I said, cursing uh, and those sorts of things. And, you know, that um, and I, I, I want to be very clear, I'm not accusing uh, those people of anything other than that. But that is the toe in the door. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you, uh, you and your kids and and you deserve to be treated uh, appropriately and with respect. And, um, and that's where it has to start, you know, because, you know, once you start excusing behavior, it's a slippery slope, you know, and, 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 and um, if you excuse, you know, if you excuse that behavior from, uh, from a youth coach, it's easier to excuse that an escalation in that behavior from a high school coach. And it's easier to excuse uh, an even greater escalation from a college coach. And then it just, you know, it just, it just snowballs. And And additionally, um, it teaches the youth coach and the high school coach and the college coach that they can get away with doing whatever they want. Right. Right. And, and, uh, you know, and it's a, it's a, uh, 
uh, ends justifies the means kind of um, uh, explanation for it. And, and I'm just telling you, like, it does not have to be that way. Right. It's that's, that's BS, honestly. And it's, uh, you know, um, uh, and and so you know when you're you know when you're out at at uh, at a soccer game or high school game or your kids soccer game or your niece or your nephew, um, you know just pay attention and and uh, and don't be afraid uh, to draw a line because because that's where it starts is like you know we all have to draw a line and and decide you know what 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 we'll accept as um, as acceptable behavior. Uh, you know. The thing about uh, about competitive sports is they are emotional environments. That's why we enjoy them, right? Mm -hmm. There's the highs of scoring and winning. There's the lows of losing. There's the um, you know the highs of having a great performance. The lows of not having your best day. There's the competitive nature of wanting to always win and do all the things that come with it. Like. These are all human emotions that absolutely exist, and there are the there are perfectly reasonable ways to express those emotions and get that competitive edge and push people to to be their best. Yes, all of those things happen. There, I, we all know what the difference is between that and abuse. It's real simple, and I'm not even to be completely fair. That part of the report is the part that I'm, I don't want to say less concerned about. I'm concerned about it. That's a problem too, because there are power dynamics between men and women going on in these circumstances mm -hmm. or men and girls going on in those circumstances that are problematic. But there's a whole other part of this where these guys are, this is what happens. They get to these positions and they're taught that they can get away with anything. And then they start to sexually abuse their players. That is in this report, man. Yeah. These guys, Christy Holly was sexually abusing her his players. Yeah. Like I I, I don't know what better way to say about that. and and I knew that some of this stuff was going to be bad. Like I knew it. We we got the preamble from the reporting from from Meg and Steph and the Washington Post and we sort of knew that something not great was going to come out of this but you hope that they had gotten all of it no they had not it wasn't even close yeah oh and i i i imagine there are still things that'll come out that are uh, right because there's there's two more, more investigations yeah. still ongoing yeah we've yet to we've yet to see the finality of you know and 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 it it we are very fortunate that we have the ownership group of the of the kansas city current that we have now but uh but the 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 well, we the, have the, it the people, because of deloy hansen right, that, and his well, fucked up there's that but, way of but doing the, things you know part of the problem you know the part of the reason the fc kansas city you know move dissolved the move is they had a lot of issues with you know their you know, the, the 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 people in that club you know um um you know, being involved in abusive situations, you know, in, in some respects, similar to, to what was in the Yates report. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, honestly. Yeah, and, you know, is. look, look, Drew, the, the, the thing is, is that, you know, there is a, um, 
there's a big problem in many uh, sectors of our society uh, with failure to hold, you know, the quote unquote elites accountable, you know, and, and, um, and whether that happens, you know, at high levels of sport or high levels of business or high levels of government, um, it's a, it's a really big problem. And um, I think, honestly, I think it, it, it like my personal uh, take on it is it's one of the sort of defining problems of our time. Um, um, and uh, if well, we don't I mean, figure out how to, how to, how to do it, how to, how to, how to do it, we're, we're going to just keep winding up in the same, in the same problem. I mean, I don't disagree with you, but there's a separate conversation we can have here about the fact that men have been controlling women for millennia. Like yeah. that's been, that's been the MO. So, I mean, you know, and, police, and like I, I coach, you, it. you know, I, I coach girls. Right. And, and there's part of me that says, you know, uh, that I shouldn't right? that, that, um, that I don't think that's that, true. That, that, well, but, but that my girls would be better off if they had a, uh, a, a woman coach, um, and a woman role model. Um, and, and so I try, I mean, I try really hard to, um, to compensate for that. Right. Because, uh, I want the, the, the girls that I coach to be, um, to be comfortable and to be, um, and to be, um, happy and excited and have, have fun playing a game. And, um, uh, I but that's why it, I say I, that I, I don't think that's seriously. true. Right. Like, no, one, I, yeah. no one would and, tell you that you can't, you can't successfully coach a girls team. We right. we're, we're, we both know Nate Bucati. He's been very successful in building up a, a, a girls club team that just won their first city tournament. Like yeah. this is not, these things are not mutually exclusive. Men no, can no, coach but, girls and girls and women without being fucking dickheads. Like but there's, there is, there's a way there is to, a to deficit. do both. There is a deficit of, of, female coaches yes um and but and that doesn't mean it's, that it's when you're coaching better. you can't you can't bring you can't bring your daughter yeah. with you and see if she's 100%. interested in participating in that there's there's 100%. ways for you to bring people along like yep. i think that there's a way there's there's mentoring that can occur and it doesn't always have to be a man mentoring a woman eventually mm -hmm. you hope that it's women mentoring women and we we've you know the company that i work at there's a very there's a there's an executive resource group that's specifically for like women, like mentoring each other. And that's, we call it women in action. And it's very mm -hmm. much a thing that we we're trying to grow, especially in leadership positions, um, grow women up in, into those places. Cause historically in the industry I work in, it's just not very common to see a lot of women in it. So they're mm -hmm. like, they're attempting to do those kinds of things. My point is, is that, um, the, the dichotomy between you um, being thoughtful, aware, and understanding of the fact of, hey, look, I'm a dude coaching these girls and they need to have female role models. And the guys we're talking about is significant. Like, this is, oh, this sure. is a chasm. Absolutely. We're, we're talking yeah. about two opposite ends of the spectrum. Yep. Yep. I agree with Absolutely. you completely that it would be great if the person in your position was also a woman or, you know, female or however they want to define themselves. My point is, is that you can help bring those people along mm -hmm. at the same time you're doing it. Absolutely. And, and everyone, I think, reasonably understands those things. I'm just saying that I thought this was not going to be good. I didn't realize how bad it was going to be. And I'm just sort of like, I, I don't know where to go from here. Like, I, yeah. I, 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 I am hopeful that this visibility will cause people to stop acting the way they do maybe it won't change maybe they'll just be like uh, they'll maybe they'll just realize i can't do that even though i still think that if that's all we get out of this 
that's still a positive step. And we'll work on the thinking part later. But um, yeah, I just, it was, it was really hard to see and hear, see the words and feel and hear the, the sort of just desperation of these women and the fact that no one listened to them until these guys were outed in public for what they were doing. Yeah. I mean, anyway. yeah, I don't <laughs> I, know. I don't I, know a better I, way look, to end that conversation. I, I can, just... I can speak from personal experience and just say that, you know, um, sometimes it takes that and sometimes it takes, uh, it takes legal action to, uh, to make people do the right thing. And that sucks, yeah. but you know, um, everybody's out to cover their own ass, you know, and, and, uh, and so sometimes you just have to, you just have to be the one to, you know, take, do whatever you can to hold them accountable. And Alex Jones learned that today too. So, you know, it's, it's happening on a, on a large scale. Um, that's all you can do is hold people accountable for yep. when they do bad things. Okay. Uh, that's a rather, you know, inauspicious way to end the podcast, but I don't know the way, better way to do it. Um, we may or may not, we may or may not be around next week. There's not a whole lot of action to talk about. Maybe we will do one next week. Man, there's so much, there's, 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 there's playoffs, man. MLS playoffs, playoffs. are full swing. Playoffs? <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> playoffs. Um, we, yeah, we may have some MLS playoffs to talk about. We, we also may talk a little bit about future plans. Hope maybe sporting will have made some roster decisions by then. They can make them now. Yeah. Now that they're out of the playoffs, they can they can start making um, announcements as who's doing what. Um, I haven't heard any yet. I haven't heard any around the league, even though there's a bunch of people out of the playoffs. So maybe we'll have some news in that regard. And if we do, maybe you'll hear from us as we talk about it. All right. On that note, I'm Drew. He's Cody. We will uh, talk to you all soon. See ya.